Welcome to uh, another episode of our podcast where we look at those people involved in regenerative agriculture. We look at those people who are involved in food in a way that is not normal, in a way that builds good rather than accelerates bad. And I'm absolutely over the moon to have my next guest, who is Tony Mulgrew. Tony is sat up in West Yorkshire in Calderdale, and Tony is um, one of the most innovative, one of the most... Um, left field thinking when it comes to schools and school dinners areas where there isn't really much room for play or there hasn't been tony's found that room tony how are you fine thank you and thank you for such a nice uh, introduction it's all true it's all true so tell me tony tell me about yourself uh, i am a professional school chef and uh I pride myself being a school chef because uh, school caterers get uh, a hard time and have done for many, many years. And there's a, an awful lot of caterers within the education and public sector uh, with lots of passion, lots of drive, and uh, they don't get the recognition that they deserve. So... Uh, and that's an interesting point, you know, because you know, feeding kids, we take it for granted. And I, I grew up in 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 Leicestershire in the nineteen seventies, and just as really bad food was emerging into the home, um, the last sort of salvation of that was home was 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 cooked school dinners. And I, to much to my shame, Tony took my school out on strike um, because I wanted. The ability to bring sandwiches in instead of having to have a school dinner every day and we had, had 120 kids marching up and down the playground on strike at three hours we had placards and everything and we actually won and and the school relented and let us bring sandwiches so so i went home that night tony and said to my mum hey mum this thing happened at school today and as a result we're allowed to bring sandwiches for lunch and my mum rightly said, well, Mark, some people will be bringing sandwiches. You're having a hot dinner every day that's good for you and you're going to be having it at school. So I, I wasn't allowed to bring sandwiches. I had to stick with it because because school dinners feed, they feed a nation. They really do. They really do. But you didn't always do school dinners. What did you? Well, I mean, I always like to start with three interesting questions, Tony, about your childhood, because I'm fascinated by what made you. Tell me what your childhood um, tasted like, smelt like, and sounded like. Uh, childhood. Uh, I grew up in uh, a one-parent family. Uh, unfortunately, my father died at uh, quite a young age. I was five-year-old when he passed. So uh, my mother uh, brought two sons up uh, by herself. And uh, because we were born quite late in our life, uh, my mother was a pensioner by the time I was 11 year old. Wow. So uh, bringing two young lads up on a state pension uh, was difficult for her. And as you said yourself, uh, growing up in the 70s, uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't quite easy for anyone. As I can remember uh, the three-day weeks and uh, electrical shortages and things like that. But I grew up in a small country town in Northern Ireland, in County Down, and uh, we had uh, agriculture all around us. Uh, 
and proper local community shops. So the smell of fresh bread coming from your local baker, uh, being a young lad before health and safety kicked in, having a Saturday job, an after school job, working in local butcher shop, uh, cleaning the large butcher's block at a very young age and scrubbing the inside of uh, a walk-in uh, fridge on a Saturday morning. So these were experiences uh, growing up that you were appreciated good food at a local source. Uh, as I said, my mum didn't have uh, much money, but we never went hungry. Now, that might have been the case uh, where the passion and dr drive came from within myself. Uh, I always remember my mum sending me to the local butchers for a dog bone. We didn't have a dog. The bone was to make a pot of stew yeah. with potatoes and carrots and onions because we couldn't afford the meat. But we didn't go hungry. And it was good, wholesome, fresh food on the table. We might have got meat once a week, but yet again, it was from the local butcher. The local butcher was able to tell you which farm he was getting his meat from. And this is the case today. Uh, Northern Ireland and uh, Southern Ireland are very, very passionate about the quality of produce that they are serving their customers. And over the years, uh, I grew up knowing that food was a big part of my life because it was survival. And I was privileged enough that my mum taught me some skills, not all, but some skills that has uh, got passed me throughout my life. So I was able to cook at a young age. And having that experience in whether it was making a cake, making bread, or just cooking some fresh uh, vegetables, I was able to do that at a young age. Over the years, uh, moving to England, uh, we moved 1977-78. Uh, school food was very important because uh, my mum uh, needed to know that her son, especially me being the youngest, was uh, being fed properly. So having that school lunch was a very important uh, meal for the day. And uh, my mum insisted that I have my free school lunch every day. Now, in Northern Ireland, it was very, very good. It was good quality uh, cooking. But as you said, as we moved into the 80s, and uh, you could see the change in the quality of food, and uh, it no longer went from fresh cooking to processed cooking. Uh, when I left school, uh, like most people, you went to get a job and what have you. By the time I reached 19, I realized we were leaving school with no qualifications. I needed qualifications. And uh, I signed up to the local territorial army, uh, told them that I was interested in being a chef. And straight away, I was sent to Aldershot to army school catering. 
and spent numerous years, uh, about five in total, doing various uh, qualifications and exams and what have you. And at the same time, working a regular job plus uh, the territorial army on a part-time basis and uh, worked my way up to be uh, a senior cook sergeant uh, over a short period of time uh, because I was so committed in the job that I was doing. Uh, by the time I was 21, 22, I was working in catering, uh, whether it be contract catering, NHS catering, or hotels and restaurants. So like most chefs, you tend to move around a lot. And uh, I suppose I was finding my feet, finding what I was good at, what my passions were. And uh, that carried on until uh, late, well, I say late thirties, uh, early thirties. And uh, when I left uh, the service, we went, well, I went back into the uh, hotel and restaurant uh, trade, did that for about four years and uh, had the opportunity of a catering manager's post at Todmonden High School and thought to myself, I'll have a go. Catering's catering, but my eyes were completely opened. Catering in the army, uh, you know exactly what you're doing. You've got the manpower, you've got the resources and what have you. School catering is completely different. A, you may not have the uh, resources and equipment, staff, funding, and B, you never know what your numbers are going to be on a daily basis because of students being absent and uh, changes in the actual day-to-day -day running of the school. So uh, it was a big eye-opener and I was privileged enough to have a fantastic team of ladies uh, over at Todd that guided me, that held my hand, uh, taught me all the things that I needed to know about school cooking. And I was able to adapt what I knew about the restaurant trade, hotels and contract catering and bring it all together so that it worked better for the school. Yeah. So, and uh, one of the uh, criteria the school actually wanted me to do was to reduce the queuing time. Now, when you consider within the industry, a restaurant will have a service time of perhaps two and a half hours, and they may do maybe a good restaurant, 100 to 200 covers in two and a half hours. And they've got a team of chefs or a brigade of chefs, if it's a big hotel, that are working 16 to 18 hours. In schools, it's slightly different. You may have four staff members working on various hours between uh, one and a half to maybe one member of staff doing a 27 hour week. You may have a budget of, if you're lucky, 80 pence. And 
you may not have their equipment. I've visited schools in the past that, that the cook has actually brought their own pots and pans from home to cook with. That's crazy. It, of course it's crazy. And when people turn around and say, well, schools have got everything. No, schools haven't got ev everything. Uh, education, education, education. There was one politician repeated that during their election. And that's great. Maths, English, uh, all the sciences, everyone needs to learn. But when you're talking about catering, it's always the last to be thought about. And catering is a skill for life. Yeah. And it maddens me when I see people that are passionate and willing to have that drive being held back and being overlooked because, oh, it's only catering. But you've got to ask yourself, if you are willing to spend 100,000 on new computers or iPads and what have you to give your students the best opportunity in learning, why wouldn't you be willing to spend perhaps one pound or one pound 20 on food costs to give them the best health and the best start in feeding themselves. Entirely that, and, and the evidence is really clear. If you look at behavior, disruptive behavior, if you look at behavior in terms of positive behavior, the ability of people to, to learn, or kids, kids, they're, they're young adults, to learn, diet and nutrition is such an important part of that. And we, ne we neglect it at our peril. So it is a false economy cutting down school budgets for food because the benefits are significant. But look, Tony, I want to take you back to Northern Ireland. I'm really interested. Um, I'm really interested in, in, in this kind of like local, um, in understanding the provenance of where your food comes from, which is essentially what, what, what you were talking, talking about. And even though you didn't have the most food on your plate, that you had great food on, on, on your plate. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and this is the thing. I, I always refer to places like Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland because, yes, I grew up there and I could see it. But when you see uh, that passion and drive from local producers and farmers and suppliers and what have it on a, a local base, you understand where it all comes from. And when at a young age, I knew quickly that if you wanted good quality food, you went directly to the source, i.e. the farmer. So when I went into catering in uh, Todd High School and seen what I was being offered, uh, from manufacturers and uh, suppliers, it really, really concerned me. Now, as a professional, I want to know where my best food is sourced from. Now, in school catering, A, you either have to be driven passionately to go out and find that information, but no one will ever give it to you. So I took the only option available to me because I was an in-house caterer and that makes a difference. Uh, don't get me wrong, there's lots of great uh, contract caterers and academies and all sorts of different types of catering outlets out there. But 
with being in house. You're doing it for yourself and the students. So I took it upon myself to source as much local fresh produce as I possibly could. Uh, did you did you were there any barriers to this in terms of procurement and the kind of centralization of local authority services did you did you struggle against sort of fighting people uh when i was uh, given the uh, job at todd high school uh taking into account the high school employed me as the catering manager and they uh cut ties with the local authority who were doing the catering services at the time so when I went into the school, uh, the local authority catering services came in and said, oh, we're doing a stop take and everything that's on that shelf is ours. If you want to buy it, you can pay for it. Well, I turned around and said, well, are you not going to help the school or help me as a new manager, new to this role? And well, no, the school has come away from catering services so we'll take what's ours and that's it and I says well fair enough do the school pay you a contract and they said yeah and I says so the school have paid you up to date on the contract and yeah and I says so the school owns that stock not you absolutely and I think I might have rubbed them up the wrong way because <laughs> I knew then I would never get help from the catering services but uh, I learned very quickly uh, I needed to go out and find local people that could direct me in the right places. So I had to find uh, cleaning, uh, cleaning procurement, food, food procurement, uh, servicing, maintenance, everything as an individual catering manager. And I was new to the school game. 2001 this was so 20 years ago yeah and uh, there wasn't any help there from it i had to do it off my own back and i can always remember going to a national farmers meeting and uh, they opened the floor up to questions and i turned around and i said look i'm the catering manager up at the high school uh, i would be very interested in buying meat directly from the farm and uh, one farmer shouted out how much are you paying for mince at this present moment and I said well it's about £2.20 or something a kilo and uh, he says precisely we couldn't afford to sell it at that price so you can't afford to buy it and I was wow. basically shouted down and uh, I was a little bit taken back the fact that no one was willing to listen to me because the way I looked at it, if a school that is opened uh, 39 weeks of the year can guarantee you business of 190 days a year, guaranteed payment and won't go bankrupt, would you not be interested in helping that business? So at the end of the meeting, uh, a young couple, a young farming couple came and approached me and said, look, we're very interested in how you're thinking. Uh, I happen to be an ex-student of the school. 
and uh, we've got a pork farm at the top of the valley. Would you be interested in buying our pork? Wow. And I, and I says, well, if like anything, the price is right, I'll be interested. But this is the budget that I'm working on. Now, I'm going back 20 years ago. What was the budget per meal 20 years ago? 57 pence for two courses. Bloody And could you do that? No. Well, you could if you used uh, some of the stuff that was being used in scopes. Yeah. And if you had the numbers, because with the numbers, volume gives you more cash. But uh, the, the actual budget for school uh, food costing has always been appalling. And uh, I was priv privileged enough to turn around and say to the head teacher and the governors, look, if you want the best food on the student's plate, you have to give me the money. So they give me 80 pence for two courses. That was 20 years ago. What is some, it now? Some schools are working still on about 69 pence to 80 pence. Others are very privileged and have got a quid or £1.20. That is staggering. Yeah. You can't, you, you can't feed people well on 80 pence for two courses. That's well, one, of the, one of the areas that people should look at is what the actual food costs are for uh, hospitals, re residential nursing homes, prisons, uh, young offender centres and schools. And you'll find that schools are at the bottom of the, the pie. And, so. and young offenders centres are at the top of the pie. That's where, interesting where it comes to food budgets and food costs. So Tony, how, how, how did you, I mean, you know, this couple at the top of the valley sound amazing, right? And, and I'm assuming you were able to, to buy their product, which as you say, gives them a hundred and whatever, 90 days a year worth of income. Yeah. And I'm assuming that they grew on the, on the back of that. Were you able to find other people to join you in your, in your crusade? Yeah, of course. Like you were, when you started looking around, there were people there, and because uh, I was using Todmonden as my base, and I wanted to try and get as much local produce as possible within a 20 to 30 mile radius. So yeah. I, I was going to the local uh, fruit and veg uh, market stall holder and saying, look, can you supply the school or can you uh, do wholesale? and where are you getting your pr produce from? This is what I'd like to do. This is the type of budget I'm working with. And, and it's all about approaching people and letting them see what you're trying to achieve. And lucky enough for me, uh, at that time, well, it was later, it was about 2008, 2009, uh, two ladies, uh, Pam Warhurst and uh, Mary Clare, uh, they were uh, working within the community trying to uh, encourage uh, growing on uh, a large scale, but like guerrilla growing and uh, having raised beds throughout. And Mary did various podcasts and TV uh, documentaries on uh, growing fresh herbs at the railway station and then further afield around uh, Todmonton. And I got involved from the education link 
and of course it was to make people aware that you know if you work together as a community you can produce some really good uh, food within the community and there was lots of recognition that Todmorden got and this was all through incredible edible Todmorden and uh, Eventually, we won a uh, lottery bid and we were able to build uh, an outdoor, uh, it was a fish farm originally, that's how it was designed uh, at the back of the school, but it was also an education learning zone where uh, schools could come, uh, other groups and what have you, and learn about agriculture and fish farming and so on and so on. And in my simple mind, the way I look at whatever was being grown or produced from that fish farm and uh, vegetables, the school would buy directly off them to help maintain that. So there would have been no air miles or uh, carbon uh, usage because it was coming at the back of the school kitchen. Yeah. So that's how simplistic it was to me in my mind, but. Uh, Lots of things got in the way and, uh, of course, head, headships change and people's uh, uh, ideas are completely different from yours. And uh, eventually I was poached to uh, consider working at uh, the school I'm at now, Ravenscliff High School. Yet again, uh, good head teachers, uh, good governors understanding the importance of uh, good quality food uh, for children and uh, it just seemed the right time to move after 10 years at Todmorden and uh, 12 years I think it was and uh, I moved and it was starting all over again because I moved from one end of the valley to the other end and it was starting those connections again trying to find out where the best meat was, where the best milk was, uh, the best suppliers. And yet again, I had to do the footwork for that. No one there to guide you or tell you where to go. And uh, because I built a bit of a reputation on my outlook towards food, because my whole career within education has been about using the best quality produce available and working on a, a local level. So uh, finding those uh, people, finding uh, great quality organic meat and milk and freshness and what have you, it, it's just so appealing. And having the backing of your head teacher and your governors, knowing that every item of food that you're putting on uh, a plate for a student, you've done your best. Now, so there's some, there's, 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 that satisfaction, like that you're quite unusual in, in gaining that satisfaction that way. Others would, would get it from hitting a target in terms of a budget or from hitting a target in terms of growth and, and numbers. What is it about you, Tony, that, that that sits yourself, that, that creates this desire to do the right thing? Where does that come from? 
Uh, anyone can set standards and set budgets and fail to achieve them. But if you've got that drive and passion that all you want to do is make sure that you're using good quality ingredients and you're putting on nice and hot on a plate and serving that every day to the students. And we all know within the food industry, uh, you're only as good as your last uh, criticism or plate of food. And uh, I'm not uh, a technophobe, but I knew very quickly that the likes of Facebook and Twitter, if you promote what you're doing, others will follow and others will understand. And every dish I try and produce every day, I photograph it, I tweet it out there to the world to say, I'll take the criticism if you know anyone wants to criticize me. And uh, I've got our own uh, school Facebook uh, catering page. And it's about sharing that passion, drive, commitment, not all, only with other caterers, but with parents. As parents, how often have you had your children come home? What did you have for dinner? Oh, there was nothing that I liked on the hot plate. So I only had a bag of crisps. Now, I know all the parents within our school community can go onto the Facebook page and see exactly what's being cooked on a weekly basis. And if their child says there was nothing they liked, <laughs> they, they know really quickly that uh, that's not the case. That's and, what, what do the kids say? Oh, like, like any school, uh, students can be very, very vocal. And I can always remember uh, doing uh, first few months of working in the school, I was told that the students didn't like pasta. And uh, I've yet to meet uh, a student that won't eat pasta. But uh, I was told they won't eat any uh, fresh sauces and stuff like this. And it's so simple and cheap to knock up a tomato sauce. Yeah, and you can so, like, it's a carriage for vitamins, isn't it? Let's yeah. be honest. And so we were knocking up these tomato sauces and putting it in pasta and serving it with pasta and what have you. And uh, me being me, I, I like the spices. So a uh, few chilies added to it and what have you. And, uh, the first day that we served this uh, spicy tomato and pasta sauce, one of the students came up and I says, did you enjoy lunch? And uh, he told me the, the honest truth. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but by Christ, it was bloody hot. And, <laughs> you know, when you're getting that type of feedback, that's great because at least they're engaging. And, and look, do, do you find, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to measure these things, I guess, but have numbers gone up? And most importantly, have performance gone up and poor behaviour, that's a hard things to measure, as I say, yeah. gone down. Are you seeing demonstrable benefits from this? Uh, when I first took over at uh, Ravenscliff, uh, we did a survey within the first uh, couple of months just to see where we were. And uh, soon... 
on roll at that time was there was a population of a hundred and twenty one students and uh, we were feeding the first week that I was there we were feeding sixty five students and three months down the line when we did the survey we were feeding a hundred and five students wow the other fifteen were peg fed because we're a special uh, educational needs school. So we were virtually 100%. When you say peg fed, what do you mean? Uh, an awful lot of our students uh, may have uh, uh, their uh, food uh, through, uh, I'm not medically trained, but it's a uh, peg in the side of their uh, abdomen. Stomach oh, I area. see. So they, they were fed direct into their stomach. So, yeah. So they couldn't eat what you would what you were no, providing. No. So you were uh, hitting a hundred percent minus one student. No, no, fifteen. With at that time, we had fifteen students that were because of their diets, and to this day, we still have uh, on roll with a hundred and fifty-one, uh, twenty-two, are packed lunches. And uh, we've about seven, no, about 17 that are uh, special diets uh, because uh, our uh, community, we cover um, the full range of autism. So right across the spectrum of autism. And uh, then you've got uh, purid males and full range yet again there. And uh, you have to take all those factors into our numbers. And uh, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, frustrating knowing that, you know, you're doing uh, some really uh, wonderful food, like a prime example today, uh, chicken tikka masala, fresh uh, chicken and tikka masala sauce. And uh, we did a uh, vegan uh, curry, a chickpea curry. And we also did a a vegan uh, savory slice, fresh potatoes, fresh uh, broccoli. uh, And you're you're able to accommodate all of that within your price budget. Food costs only. We can, we would never ever be able to uh, take staff wages into those, not unless our numbers went drastically above the 300 mark. And and do you, and are you are other schools asking you to teach them, show them, or even take over their catering um, services? Uh, we, we we have done in the past um, when uh, the local authority uh, decided to pull the plug on uh, their catering services. Uh, there was at that time I think about fifteen schools that hadn't gone in house. Uh, Calderdale is quite a unique. Uh, area that all the schools are either in-house caterers or with contract caterers or consortiums within themselves and uh, these 15 schools uh, eight of them approached us and asked could I go in uh, help support uh, their caterers to get up and running as in-house caterers so all I did was take everything that I've got and reproduced it again and showed them how I was doing fresh sauces and pasta dishes, things that were quick and easy 
that you could do in scale. So we did that for quite a number of months with various schools. Uh, in the past, we have uh, done transported catering for other primary schools. And uh, I've been privileged enough to have links on a global scale where uh, colleagues from Sweden have come across to look at how I did my procurement within uh, the school. And I went back out to Sweden and uh, learned how they were producing fresh fish because in my opinion, there's nothing worse than battered or breaded fish on the school menu. You know, when it's the same week in, week out. Yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. so uh, I was able to come back with some fantastic recipes of fresh fish and put it on the school menu. And, you know, when you put a nice uh, salmon kebab with uh, a nice uh, creme fraiche and dill sauce, you know, it makes a difference from battered fish and chips or breaded fish and chips. Then uh, a couple of years ago, I was asked to go out and yet again talk about that connection between schools and uh, working with community suppliers in Japan with uh, two uh, blokes that have got uh, a school catering business out in Yokohama. So yet again, I've never been one for saying, well, I've done all this. This is all my work. Why should I share it? If anything, it's my job to make sure I share this knowledge, information, to support others, to help others. Because I know what it was like 20 years ago when no one would support or help me. So to give that little bit back, and it isn't much, but if someone phoned me up and said, Tony, I've got this problem. Have you ever come across it? Or can you advise me how to help? Yeah, certainly I'll help. No problem. Because, you know, I'm a chef. That's what I do. I help people. I make sure that people get fed. And do you, do you think your, I mean, it's inevitable. The answer to this question is clear, I suspect. But do you think your upbringing, your mum, your mum's ability to keep all of your heads of water on her own, on a pension, and then your and then your shift into group catering within the armed forces, these things shaped you as much as that connection to the butcher and that connection to the ground and the soil that our food is grown upon is grown upon. Um, have these how have these things shaped you? And then yeah, and then I've got a final question which I'll ask after. I uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Like uh, as I said, with my mum, it was always about. Uh, being the best you could and uh, always being honest, truthful and being able to uh, put 100% into whatever you try to achieve. Uh, with the military, you've got all that standardization and regulation that trains you to be what military organizations want you to be. And to be, but when we were doing our training, it was always about if you're not willing to eat it or serve it or to drink it yourself, why serve it? Yeah. And to have that constantly day in, day out, it has to be good enough to serve. 
you can't just throw it at people or throw it to troops because at the end of the day, uh, the only thing they've got to look forward to is three hot meals a day. If they're out training or fighting or doing whatever, that's all they've got to look forward to. And if you take those opinions and put it into school catering, a student, if he's in the uh, school community for six hours a day, other than the education side of it, there's two times of the day where they've got something to look forward to. And that's yeah. morning, morning break and lunchtime. But it's, it's more important than that even, isn't it, Tony? Because you're building, you're building people. You're building humans to go and change the world. You're building in the army. You're building people to go and do a very, very difficult job. And then, of course, the back end of this is the way that we farm, the way that we produce food is changing our climate and changing our environment. And it can do so positively or it can do so negatively. It strikes me that, that, that the positive side of that is hard baked into everything that you do. Well, yeah, true. Like a long time ago, uh, someone uh, pointed out to me, if we're spending uh, one pound on local produce in a local business, that's going to generate three pound within the local community. So if that's the case, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we supporting our British local farmers, our British local producers? You know, we, we've seen that we're now out of Brexit and everyone's talking about uh, the deals that can be set up and what have you. Well, why not look closer to home? Why not look at, if every government organization in the UK was buying all British, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Our <laughs> money is our most powerful thing. And the food that we put in our mouth is the thing that determines our health more than anything else. And if you can combine those two things so that they do good, everyone wins. And just to finish off, Tony, it, what, what would your top three tips be for people listening to this? Maybe they're in an institution and, and they provide catering for a school or for, or for their, their company. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're just normal folk at home. What would your top three tips be in terms of improving the quality and reducing the impact of the food that we eat? I think as I've got old, older over the years, uh, the thing that I've learned the most is about waste and being able to change my own personal waste. Uh, being able to shop around, read, talk, and find out exactly what you're actually putting into your body can make a big difference straight away. And uh, we're too quick to jump into our cars, drive to a local supermarket, and buy uh, the two for one offer and uh, get home, shove it in a fridge or a cupboard or whatever, and uh, find that the item, one item has gone off, so we throw it in the bin and we waste yeah. it. Whereas if we go out, we start shopping, we start talking to people, and we find our local fruit and veg uh, merchant, our local butcher, Yes, there may be 10 pence difference on 
per kilo weight of mince are there may be a few pence difference on vegetables and what have you. But that local supplier will tell you exactly where it's come from. It won't be uniform, it'll be fresh, it'll be grown locally, it'll be produced locally. And you know, you're meeting a new friend. You're having well, a it's a, exactly that. It, it's exactly that. I mean, I don't eat meat anymore, but when I did, um, my local butcher could tell me exactly where the sheep that I was going to buy from him. I used to buy half a sheep a year off him. He told me exactly where that would come from. Yeah. When I bought pork, he would be able to tell me to the very field, and it, everything was within three miles of where of where I lived. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I paid when, more. Yeah, but when you consider that in the UK, if we were eating seasonal fruit and vegetables rather than everything that we can get our hands on. Like as a child growing up, we had strawberries in June, July. Yeah. We, we didn't have them in December because they didn't grow in December. And, uh, and they taste shit when we get them in December, yeah. don't they? Let's be yeah. honest. Uh, and you know, going back to what we know best worked and it's the same with that, you know, packaging and everything that we consider is convenient for us. It's the damage that it does further afield. Yeah. Like, I, I remember a, a young lad going to the fruit and veg stallman and uh, everything was in brown paper bags. We didn't recycle then because there was no need for recycling because there was no such thing as plastic bags and everything else. But, you know, these are all areas, as we get older, we, we suddenly realize what we're doing to ourselves, what we're doing to our planet, what we're doing to the future of uh, our kids around us. So being able to look at what we're buying, where it's coming from, and ask the question, do we really need these e-numbers? If we're eating fresh produce, does there have to be an e-number in it? And someone once told me, if you pick up a, uh, a loaf of bread, turn it over and read the back of it. Now, bread is flour, yeast, salt, water, and sugar. So but you don't even need you don't even need the sugar. No, but maximum of five ingredients, four definitely. If you turn a sliced loaf over, and the ingredients list reads like a chemistry formula, <laughs> it ain't going to be good for you, is it? No, it's flour, salt, water. That's that's yeah. that that's it. Yeast or non. If you want to yeah. go yeasted, that's fine. If you yeah. want to go sourdough, that's fine. Look, Tony, <clears throat> I can't I can't help but reflect on your upbringing and you know the work that you do is incredible. You're a trailblazer. And you're a trailblazer in food, which means which means frankly, you're a trailblazer blazer in farming as well because of the, of your relationships with with local farmers. Your mum, your mum would be so proud of you that you took those lessons. All of that, all of those visits to buy a dog bone, to get a dog bone, all of those visits, they've shaped you in a way that she would have only dreamt of. You, you must be 
you you must have such thankfulness and fond memories of her and she would be absolutely totally proud of, of, of how you've used that knowledge I would like to think so uh, unfortunately yet again I lo lost my mom at a very young age I, I was only 20 when I lost her but uh, I think she gave me the right plat platform to grow into perhaps the man she'd like to have seen uh, I'd like to think that at some point, when I can get uh, pen to paper, I'll put all these ideas and recipes together as some type of book that I can pass on to my grandchild, yeah. pass on to my, my own son. And uh, knowing that there's recipes in there from my mum that are cheap, wholesome, and just made with love and passion. You know, there's nothing more you can pass on to a family member than something that's been made with love and passion. I, I agree. I've, I've often said it. Um, food, food, we write love letters with food. And, and I said that inside a meeting at Tesco's once and and, and they now have a campaign called Food Love Stories, which and I and I, and I give it freely because because yeah. it's a it's a it's a great line, and but, it is but, you know being able to care for somebody. Yeah. it starts on the inside as well as the outside. Yeah, and when you look at food, no matter where you are in the world, and you sit down with people from different uh, generations and cultures, and you break bread, you're sharing food and it breaks down so many barriers uh, that was one of the the things that I loved about Todd because the community was so diverse that you know I was meeting people from Poland people from uh, Pakistan and the food was amazing being able you know as a chef to share food uh, from different parts of the world was absolutely amazing and you knew that it was made with love so, That's you know, it's a privilege. Tony, I, I can't thank you enough. And with every single school meal you deliver and with every single contract in terms of buying from a local supplier, there's an exchange of love there as well in, in, a, in a kind of non-mushy way. There's some respect and there's some care that you share and you shake like a condiment around, um, around Calderdale. So, Tony, thank you so much for your time today and thank you for every single thing that you do. Thank you very much. Wow. How did you enjoy that? The thing is, school mails aren't glamorous, but they really, really matter for many people, for many kids. It's the only good nutrition they get during the day. And if that nutrition is beans and chips and cheese, then they're not going to grow as well as if it's a balanced, balanced food. So the whole idea of this is that we, we, we look at the quality that we can give people rather than the quantity. And the way, that, the way that this has been done, the way that Tony's been working is exemplary. Thank you for listening. More soon.